the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. They see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on. So the issue we're taking on today in this podcast is the new U.S.-Mexico immigration deal. So about a week ago, President Trump saw a video of more than a thousand migrants crossing through a hole in the fence in the U.S.-Mexico border near El Paso, which was the largest breach of the border ever recorded. And he decided he'd had enough against the advice of Republicans on Capitol Hill and even many of his own advisors. He announced that he was going to impose tariffs on Mexico unless the Mexican government took concrete steps to crack down on illegal immigration. The Mexican government immediately sent a delegation to Washington to negotiate, and this weekend they reached an agreement that averted a U.S.-Mexico trade war. Some, some, are praising Trump for getting Mexico to finally take real action, while others say there's not a lot new in this agreement that had not already been agreed to months ago. So is this deal a breakthrough? Has Trump's strategy of using the threat of tariffs been vindicated? And will this agreement make a difference? To break it all down for us, we're pleased to be joined by Roger Noriega. Roger served as Assistant Secretary of State for Western Hemisphere Affairs in the George W. Bush administration, where he was the senior official responsible for U.S.-Mexico relations. He also served as U.S. Ambassador to the Organization of American States. And before that, he was in charge of Mexico policy on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Roger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a great opportunity for me. Appreciate it. All right. So, Roger, there's a lot of confusion about this deal. And again, we don't have paper yet, so we're just based on news accounts. But it seems to me that first there's the 6,000 troops, which haven't been formed yet, but they're going to form them pretty quickly because they've got 90 days to show some progress, right? Then you've got this migrant protection protocol, which the Wall Street Journal reports saying that they've agreed to accept more migrants who are seeking asylum. It used to be they were only taking 300 a day, and now it'll be without limit. So that's good because they're going to be holding more of these asylum seekers in Mexico. The one thing that was missing in the deal, but there's this talk that there's a secret part of it that hasn't been released yet, is this issue of making Mexico a safe third country for migrants. The idea is right now, if a migrant shows, we have that kind of agreement with Canada, where if a migrant shows up in Canada, they apply for asylum in Canada. If they show up in Mexico, they apply for asylum here. And the Mexican government doesn't seem to want to become a safe third country. Why not? Why shouldn't they be a safe third country? They're a modern economy. As you said, they're growing. They have a net reduction of migration, so they're becoming much more of a first world economy. Why shouldn't they be a safe third country? I think they should. I think they should. They're, they're already going to take migrants that are coming over the border and resettle in Mexico. And by the way, historically, Mexican authorities have stopped more migrants than the United States authorities have at the border. Of course, that's natural. That may be part of the story in the last six months is that just as the Lopez over the administration has dropped the ball on drugs, they may very well have dropped the ball on immigration. It is very important that we hold them accountable because as a matter of fact, historically, Mexicans have waved migrants through and corrupt officials have shaken down these Central American migrants. These poor people are harassed all the way <laughs> to the U.S. border. But it is a distinct possibility that they've, they've dropped the ball on migration enforcement along the line. But I think the safe third question is something that's very valid. I I think, you know, Mexico should have to be accountable on that question. And is Trump right to push them for that? I think the U.S. authorities are right to push them on that question. And by the way, what we're expecting then is that these people will no longer be paying coyotes their life savings or foraging their homes to get to the United States because they're not going to pay that to get to Mexico. 
So the the incentives will will be diminished. Although I just saw before we sat down to record this that California has legislated that all illegal immigrants under the age of twenty six will have free health care. So well, it's, it seems like the Democrats are trying to turn themselves into the party of illegal immigration. You've got sanctuary cities. You've got free health care in New York and in California now. Some places they want to let them vote in local elections, like in San Francisco. There's an effort to turn the country into a magnet for illegal immigration. I'm not entirely persuaded that the Democrats know what their base is thinking on this, because, in fact, lots of people who who are here legally, who've come, whether from Mexico or anywhere else, are going to be angry and resentful about the fact that other people don't have to jump through the hoops that they jump through in order to obey the law. Here's a question for you, though, Roger. We all agree that as a tool, these tariff threats are not ideal. From my perspective, very straightforwardly, even if we think that he got the Mexican government to ask how high when he said jump, nonetheless, what's more likely for us to see is Congress acting to take away this latitude that the president has to impose tariffs unilaterally. That is something where I think you are seeing Republicans and Democrats extraordinarily troubled by the economic signal. So they're focused not at all on immigration. They're focused not at all on Mexico or Honduras or Guatemala. What they're focused on is the fact that the president is sending completely capricious messages to our allies and to American businesses who rely on supply chains that come from these countries where he's sort of lavishly throwing around tariffs. That is a real risk. So I think it's worth us talking a couple minutes about that. But I also want to ask the key question, which is, okay, tariffs are the wrong way to go about this. What is our leverage on the Mexican government? How do we get them to stop this? That would be the right question for Donald Trump to have asked up front. And I don't know what the answer is. It is a valid question. They would say, let's do more in a partnership to address the root causes in Central America. And AMLO, the president of Mexico, has committed billions of dollars. I don't know whether it's anywhere close to reality, but he's committed billions of dollars to the development of Central America. And I think that makes an awful lot of sense. They would say we need to do more on the consumption of drugs because, let's face it, the U.S. consumption of drugs is what's driving this organized crime and decimating these institutions of government and the ability of Central American countries to police their own borders and impose the rule of law against these narco-traffickers. So there's a lot of responsibility to go around. We need to find partnership with them. And it has been done over the years coming up with verifiable programs to address illegal immigration or address narco-trafficking that requires a lot of hard work. If a partnership isn't leverage, what leverage do we have to make sure if the partner is not willing to do what's necessary and isn't doing what's necessary, as evidenced by the fact that we had 144,278 apprehensions on the border, what's our leverage to make them do it if it's not tariffs? Well, I mean, I think there is sort of the economic relationship. In the case of tariffs, I just don't think it's a blunt instrument. It was not meant for these purposes, and it hurts us more than it hurts them. I wrote a column in The Washington Post this week laying out all the costs to the American economy, why if we actually did invoke these tariffs, it would be very painful for American workers, and quite frankly, for the forgotten Americans would be the hardest hit, the people who are Trump voters. But I think there's a phenomenon that's happening that's making a lot of people on the right uncomfortable, but I don't know what the alternative is to it, which is both with China and with Mexico, Trump sees 
sees, look, our economy is booming. We have the lowest unemployment we've ever, we've ever had. The forgotten Americans' manufacturing jobs are up. And in both China and Mexico, their economies are weak and they're not doing what we need to do. And for decades now, administration we worked in, their predecessors, their successors have not gotten these problems solved. The border is in chaos. China is taking advantage of all of our companies, stealing our intellectual property. And so going to the WTO promising partnership isn't working. And so right. Trump is saying we need to use a blunt instrument now to get their attention. Well, and then maybe the fear of that will get them to take actions that they wouldn't otherwise take. Well, again, let me get back to the point that a lot of this is fueled by U.S. consumption of drugs. And so we need to be doing more on this front, too. And we can talk about punitive measures to get other countries to do the heavy lifting that, that we need to be part of. Or we can talk about getting those countries to solve the root causes of these problems, to work with us to solve the root causes of the problems, going after criminality, denying by financial sanctions access to the financial markets by these illegal groups, going after the coyotes like, uh, like never before. Yes, law enforcement at the border, joint law enforcement activities, Central American military security forces working alongside Mexican and U.S. enforcement officers. But that means rolling up your sleeve and doing hard work because we don't know where throwing these thunderbolts is going to really get us. We don't. We got to some pledges. I don't want to completely say that they're meaningless by any means. I don't think they are. I mean, I, because they will be held to account in 90 days. for these commitments. But, terrified. We, but we don't quite know where, even if we were to like deliver on the pledge of going from 5 to 25% tariffs, the impact would be very, very devastating. That's not worth the cost to our economy. The, this problem is not the kind of solution that's going to be sustainable over time. Right. And we don't want to replay, you know, sort of the 1920s, you know, and have a bilateral series of Smoot-Hawley kind of tariffs that end up isolating us at a moment when we are actually beginning a slowdown. So, I mean, that is a big challenge for us. So you outlined one of the things that you think Congress needs to do. You've also said that a lot of this work is diplomatic. A lot of it is is gathering the forces together, working in cooperation, training, and getting our allies on the other side of the border to actually step up enforcement, but also to step up training, to step up some of their counter-narcotics work that they are failing on. What does Congress need to do? We can all agree that Congress has fallen down on the job. This bombast, these confrontational, controversial tactics that he uses, lets the Congress off the hook because we have to do some serious things about an immigration system, political asylum process that is being gamed by traffickers, people, human traffickers. And to a certain extent, we're making our enforcement measures part of the trafficking process. We're, we're part of that business model, delivering these desperate migrants to U.S. territory. And the Congress dodges its responsibility responsibility on this by saying, well, look, the president is doing this and housing, uh, you know, putting kids in cages and announcing phony accords with Mexico. But they have to be held accountable. And unfortunately, this this sort of tactic lets them off the hook and we don't get the real solutions that we need. Let me push back on you, though, because so I agree with you about the part about Congress, but phony accords with Mexico. I mean, part of the problem is, is that the migrants are coming through Mexico, through the border with Guatemala, which is only about 540 miles. So it's a smaller border, easy to patrol. Then they come to Mexico and they're transiting to our country. Yes, we have to take issues at our border, both border security and dealing with asylum laws, which are creating a uh, magnet for this. But don't we have to push the issue down towards their border? Why should Mexico not be enforcing its border and taking steps in its country so those migrants never get to our border in the first place? I agree with you 100 percent. I don't disagree with that. The fact is that the Mexicans made these commitments months before, and it's now going to be a question of them keeping them. But having said that, I don't want to reward the process where the president uses tariffs, any kind of threat like this, to slap a 
around people that we need to be on our side. Remember when the last time he was desperate in this process a month ago, he cut off USAID to Central America. That, so that, that is another tactic that I think is counterproductive. The problem we have at the border is that these immigrants are being brought here by coyotes, alien smugglers. The alien smugglers have adjusted their business model to our enforcement efforts. They know, for example, that if you bring a kid, an accompanied minor, or even if you bring a member of a family, you are not immediately deported if you're an adult. So you actually have minors being put in the custody of other people. And there have been cases of abuse of these, of these people. Everyone has the impression now that all you have to do is say the right words and apply for political asylum and you get to stay forever because we have such an incredible backlog of treating these cases and dealing with these cases by administration law judges that people are essentially set loose because we can't keep them. They don't have the physical capacity, the resources to, to hold them while their asylum claims are being processed. But the fact is the vast majority of these people will never be eligible for asylum. At least 80% of them will be considered ineligible and they'll eventually have to return. That judgment can be made by other responsible officials at the border, but it requires a change in our law because the courts have decided they have to be given a full hearing. You can essentially, in certain cases, enforcement officials from the Department of Homeland Security should be able to make judgments on whether a person has a well-founded fear of persecution, whether they'll be able to sustain that. And if they're not, you turn them around immediately. The president is right that they're gaming our system. And this is a danger for everyone involved. The people that are making that trek, leaving their homes behind, paying 5000 to a coyote, and then if they are eventually repatriated, they owe $5,000. They have no, essentially, they're, they're going to be harassed by these loan sharks. No one benefits from a process that entices people to make that dangerous trek to our border. And certainly, we don't have the capacity to deal with it, and that becomes part of this vicious cycle that responsible U.S. officials have to address. Okay, you said one of the things they need to do is that they need to allow SNAP decisions at the border by border officials on asylum requests. What are the other things that Congress needs to do? What are the elements of a package that Congress could deliver that might help solve this problem? I think we need more assistance to Central America and Mexico. We developed a program under the at the end of the President Bush's administration, the Merida Initiative. It's a little $2.3 billion to help on enforcement, and that's against the drug problem primarily. So I think that that's important. We need to hold countries accountable. We need to extend the trade benefits, access to our markets that will help these Central American countries in particular develop healthy private economies that will create jobs and, and sustain growth and create stability and incentives for people to stay in their own homes. We need to take a broad look at the problem. You're laying out the carrots, which I'm, I'm, a, I'm in favor of carrots, but I'm also in favor of sticks. And so you need a combination of those two to be successful. I mean, anyone who looks at that video of a thousand people streaming through a hole in the fence and says, we don't need a wall. There was a wall there, they wouldn't be streaming through the fence. And even the Democrats, they say, we're not going to fund a wall. So President Trump in May 1st asked Congress for $4.5 billion in emergency funding for the wall, $3.3 billion of which was humanitarian assistance, and didn't include any wall funding, and they still won't give it to him. I mean, are we in a situation where the Democrats on Capitol Hill are so hostile to Donald Trump that even when he asks for something that's completely reasonable and that a few years ago would have been met with bipartisan support, they simply won't give it to him? Absolutely. That's precisely what's going on. I mean, I, I sat at a hearing room where we were talking about the cutting of aid to Central American countries, and they were mostly Democrats in attendance. And I made a point at the opening of my testimony that this is a very real problem. 
I should have been more blunt, you know, but in point of fact, these people are gaming our system. I should have even gone so far as to say the very people on the left who are particularly concerned about human trafficking need to recognize that our enforcement measures, you know, that is the lack of enforcement measures or the fact that they're overwhelmed or their programs of inducing or enticing immigrants to come to the United States to partake in of healthcare systems and et cetera, et cetera, saying that the border is open essentially is actually rewarding human trafficking. They thought for five minutes they would be thinking about spending their time addressing these underlying problems. But they can't stop to think because it's about Trump. It's about his bombastic tactics. It's about his confrontational style. And frankly, they have to be held accountable for that. But that's why I'm saying let's not reward the guy for using those sticks, particularly when he's using the stick to hit ourselves over the head. Let's not reward the tactic of using these threats to get these countries to do more. You ask a very good question. Where's our leverage then? It's a fair question. And I haven't answered it. But good job, though, Roger. But tariffs. But that's why. That's that's why I'm glad glad to help. What the hell is going on? Uh, (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Excellent Uh, question. I have no idea. So, but 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 hang on a second. Okay, the wall has come to symbolize everything that is right and everything that is wrong. It isn't a panacea because there's there are tons of supply problems on the side that are represented by the coyotes that are represented by you know the imagination of people who will get around even a wall once we have one if we have one. But you know Republicans do control one house of of Congress. It seems to me that if there's broad agreement, why has you know, Mitch McConnell not sent a package of immigration reforms and security reforms and administrative law court reforms to the House and let them kill it? The issue here is the Republicans haven't done that either. Yeah. We are facing up to genuine dysfunction here in which Part of it is fueled by Trump mania for sure, but part of it is fueled by the fact that Republicans don't feel the need to do something creative, something responsive on this side. And this is part of the broader breakdown in, in Washington that we talk about for so long. So Mark, or, or you, even to defend yeah. their basic principles. You talked about members of Congress that are prepared to push back on the president's exceeding his the use of the tariffs authority. In point of fact, it's a very small group that are going to die on that turf because it is in the context of fighting illegal immigration and the impression that the president is making headway by using it as a threat. I would like to think that, frankly, the Article One institution or constitution, the Congress would start doing its job, but that may very well be too optimistic. So last question. So the day that President Trump issued his tariff threat, which turned out to be fairly effective so far, was the day that the Mexican president sent the USMCA to for ratification to the Mexican Senate. So how does this now impact the USMCA? Obviously, Mexico wants it. Canada wants it. Nancy Pelosi really doesn't want it because she doesn't want to give Donald Trump a victory because we're still in that reflexive mode. How does the tariff threat followed by the apparent success in getting Mexico to take some action affect the approval by Congress of the USMCA? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be considered on its merits. And Do you really think really? that? It has to be. Yeah. I mean, when? Well, I'm, Nancy Pelosi? Well, I'll tell you why. Yeah. Why do I say that? Because my expectation is they understand that it has to be approved. Right. It's in the interest of the U.S. economy that it be approved. It's inconceivable that they would be as irresponsible as they accuse Trump of being. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah. If I may coin a phrase. You're right. I think the pro- thank you. I th- let's stop here. Uh, <laughs> Go out on a high note with Roger. <laughs> 
works right. The point is, that is precisely the point I was trying to make before, is that the president should be making some of these arguments on substance, not tweeting out terror threats, but going after them on, you know, where are we on job creation? How many jobs are we going to lose from this economy if they don't ratify that agreement? You can use sticks and carrots at the same time. I mean, are the Mexicans going to ratify the USMCA? I suspect they will, although this will complicate things a bit. But let me tell you, I did a survey of the Mexican, perusing the Mexican press today. A lot of them are saying we got Trump to back down. And so it's so playing positively for the they, Mexican they, government. They've said, yeah, yeah, I think it's temporary. But I think the Mexicans have taken a very mature outlook about this relationship. They understand how closely joined we are, integrated we are, these two economies, and how our economy is extraordinarily important to them. So that is why this populist leftist president, López Obrador, has been very patient and unprovoked in this relationship because they know how important it is. So I think that at bottom, his party will push it through the Congress. And okay. that's a far left Congress with a lot of, but nevertheless, I think that he will have the political force to push it through. Last, last question. What happens in 90 days? Well, I think we're going to discover that a lot of people have been pressed into service in the National Guard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and what I mean by that is precisely what Danny was saying is other forces reconstituted into the National Guard that will have an effort, I think, make serious efforts on the ground. They, they realize they need to, that this is a measurable objective. And I would hope that they would, it would make a substantial change in terms of illegal migration. How about safe third country? Will, we, will Mexico be a, agree to be a safe third I, I country think by, it, by, in 90 days? Well, it may be a de facto decision because they're going to be taking all of these people in and it will become more manageable if they actually manage to reduce the number of people coming in. You know, when President Trump was first elected, I wasn't crazy about the idea about the wall on the border because I understood what the physical impossibilities of that and the fact that it was very much a tool of this kind of nationalism and really anti-Mexico fervor, which I never quite gotten enticed by. I thought, you know, and said at the time, we ought to put the wall on Mexico's southern border. That's where you need the wall. It's not physically not possible because it's basically a jungle. Uh, and Trump will pay for it. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, we, we've got AMLO's next presidential campaign for him. We're going to put a wall on our southern border and Donald Trump will pay for it. Okay, I think we've got to we've got to wrap up now. So, first of all, Mark, I think where you and I are going to almost always come down in disagreement <laughs> is that I think there's more madness in their method and you think there's more method in their madness. And we both agree there's madness. We but, but <laughs> absolute total agreement that there's 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 a strong element of madness. That's the that's the part of the cocktail that Donald Trump brings to any administration right. policy is the rest of them John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, Shanahan, they may all be they may all be the method guys. He's the madness guy. And part of that gives that unpredictable magic that can deliver success. But I think that you see more success, especially on the wall side, than I do. Well, so here's the thing. Number one, this worked, obviously, because Mexico has come to an agreement with with, with the United States. Well, for the moment. Well, OK, but they, they were very clearly desperate not to have these tariffs imposed. And so they've made they've agreed to do a bunch of things that they had said previously they were going to do, but didn't weren't actually doing. I mean, every, the New York Times says this was all agreed to in December. Well, it's six months later and none of it had been implemented. So where was the agreement? Right. So Trump, you know, understood he had leverage. You know, when we were talking with Roger, you asked him, what is the leverage if it's not tariffs? And he really did 
didn't have a good, he admitted, I don't have a good answer for it. No, you're totally right. And so Trump used his leverage. Everybody, including his internal advisors, Lighthizer, everybody said, don't do this. Republicans in Capitol Hill said, don't do this. And guess what? It worked. So one of the things that I really like about Donald Trump coming from New York and not being part of the Washington establishment that you and I are honorable members of both (laughs) is, is that he does look at tools in a very unconventional way. So that's right. To say tariffs can never be part of our strategy, for example, on China, is complete BS. On the other hand, if you use it too often, it's not that you become the boy who cried wolf, but you do become the boy who cried tariffs. And as I said to Roger and you, someone is going to take that tool away from him. Except, well, I, one, I don't think they're going to be able to do it because they'd have to do it with a veto-proof majority, and I don't think they're going to have those kinds of votes. Well, fair Number point. One. Number two, he's not the boy who cried wolf because he's been imposing tariffs. He, he imposed the steel and aluminum tariffs. He's imposed tariffs on China. You know, the threat is real. But and they're also going to be bad for the economy. And, and I think, well, but I, I wrote a column in the post saying that it's a bad idea to have two-front trade war with Mexico and, and China at the same time because the Mexico tariffs, if they had been implemented, would undermine the China tariffs and China's the bigger enemy, which is fine. But here's the thing. During the Cold War, okay, the Ronald Reagan, one of the things we found out, Peter Schweitzer wrote in his book, Reagan's War, he went through all the Soviet archives because remember there was a time when the Soviet Union was poor, or the Russian state was poor, and so they gave all the archives to the Hoover Institution. Right. He actually went through the Politburo minutes. Right. And the Soviets actually thought that Ronald Reagan was willing to launch bunch of nuclear first strike, and it impacted their decision-making. Right. So that's and Donald that, Trump's ace in the hole. It's yeah. his Trump card. No pun intended. No. <laughs> yes, pun intended. Pun intended. Duh. But the, the immigration part of this is, I think, also really interesting because here we were sitting, the three of us, okay, we're friends. We also are in mostly the same place on the spectrum on this immigration issue. We're very pro-immigration. Yeah. We believe that immigrants you know, contributed a huge amount to this country. As you have said more than once, Mark, in a full employment economy, you're not going to grow by having more kids, yeah. although we should all have more kids. Yes. <laughs> but you're going to grow by bringing in immigrants. And it's not just skilled labor immigrants. It's not just H-1B. It's also people who man our gas stations and man our 7-Elevens and man our factories. We need those people. But yeah, because there's... We, right now in our economy, we have more job openings than there are unemployed people to fill them. So by definition, you need immigrants to fill some of these jobs or else you can't grow. Right, right. And we need compassionate asylum laws as well. What I think the problem here is, and this is where Roger and I see eye to eye, is this wall is no panacea. And Donald Trump has focused so much energy on hostility at the border that it has become a magnet for people who fundamentally don't agree with us about immigration being a good thing. So number one, uh, I don't think he's just focused on the wall because if you look at his immigration speech when he gave the speech to Congress and when he gave his speech from the Oval Office, he laid out a number of measures other than the wall that are necessary. He has a very full fledged, if uh, the experts have given him a... I was about to say, he he has a a very full-fledged blank is not a signature of the Trump administration. administration But a wall is a clear element of that. And it was uncontroversial before Donald Trump. Chuck Schumer, all the Democrats were for it until they were against... You're totally right. And the other thing is that, and this is not an argument the Trump administration can make necessarily because they've shown a hostility to refugees, broader thing. But the point you made to me when we were talking about this in your office once is that... 
these people, as Roger pointed out, 80% of the people who are coming here and seeking asylum at the southern border from Central America won't qualify. Right. They're, they're gaming the system. And they're hurting real people who want – they are so absolutely a, hurting real Sudanese people who want – a Sudanese refugee who's not getting his claim looked at because there's the, because we've got the Central American – Or a Syrian or, refugee. Or a Syrian absolutely. refugee or whoever else it is. And so if you believe in our asylum policy and you believe that we should be welcoming to refugees, you have to fix our asylum laws and you have to do some of the things that Trump is doing to get the Mexican government – if we had a safe third country agreement with Mexico the way we would have with Canada, as soon as those people crossed their southern border from Guatemala, they would have to apply there and they could never make it to the U.S. Okay, but so I'm, we, so I'm, they, still, we, I'm still – I'm going to interrupt you. I'm no, still arguing – still would argue that this is you know like that scene with Cleavon Little out of Blazing Saddles. Go look it up, <laughs> you young people. Go go look it up. Great Mel Brooks movie. Can't repeat it on air. <laughs> yeah, can't repeat it on air because it's – you know, and probably even at the time wasn't terribly – politically correct, yeah. but it absolutely is the image, which is that Trump is holding a gun to his own head because if the Mexicans don't ante up in 90 days and we end up imposing these tariffs, what's going to happen is exactly what you said, which is we're going to undermine our own economy, our own strategy towards the Chinese. You know, We're not going to get what we want. But you know what? If you watch Blazing Saddles, and I encourage everybody Blazing to Saddles. do it, yeah. Blazing Saddles, Cleveland Little got away. It worked. <laughs> Sometimes putting a gun to your own head works. Oh, my God. All right. This is the note on which we need to end this really interesting conversation. But I really, really want to come back to this. There are a couple of people who I think we would have a great conversation with on immigration and on some of these surrounding issues. Because one of the really big missing elements from this conversation is facts. That's one of the most helpful things I think Roger gave Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And that's why the issue is not going away. So we'll be able to talk about it more on this podcast. We will be able to find out what the hell is going on with dot, 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 this issue again and again and again. I really look forward to it. Me too. Our editor is Gage Hurley of Liquid Media. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.